back in the early days of television, there was a, a pretty popular detective show called Dragnet. And I suppose it's still on there somewhere. If you hunt around, you can probably find reruns. They have reruns of everything else that I think was ever put on TV. But uh, Dragnet was uh, uh, pretty distinctive in that the main, uh, the main character who was, uh, I think, Sergeant Joe, Joe Friday, or I think he was a sergeant. I can't remember. Anyway, his name was Joe Friday. And he had this line that he would always use when he was interviewing people, and it was, just the facts, please. If he was interviewing some, let's say, some woman whose uh, purse had been stolen or, or maybe whose home had been broken into or uh, against whom some crime had been perpetrated, she might be telling her story with all of this emotion that most of us would expect. And he would interrupt and say, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. I always thought, uh, probably not that at the time when I first came across Dragnet because uh, I, I started watching TV about the time that uh, it was invented. But uh, <laughs> over, over time I've come to see that Dragnet was really a kind of a parable, kind of a parable of American culture, particularly American pragmatism. Just give us the facts. Give us the facts and we'll figure this out. Give us the facts and we will solve the problem. All we need are the facts, which is, which is kind of ironic uh, in our time to look back on it because I suppose if there's anything that's at least in popular consciousness more disputed, it's the whole notion of a fact. <laughs> Sometimes we just, we just make up our own to suit ourselves. I suspect the astronauts who are going up on Elon Musk's new, new rocket are hoping that uh, the engineers who designed the rocket had a fairly good grasp of the concept of facts. But um, even in, even in uh, North American evangelicalism, our Bible, the way we read the Bible has been deeply influenced by this, well, just give me the facts. In some ways, this is because of where we've been in, uh, since the, the time of the Enlightenment. Uh, Christianity has been in dispute, or often the basic beliefs of Christianity have been, dis have been disputed as uh, lacking factual warrant, or that even the very uh, narratives, the, the accounts that we find in Scripture are sometimes held to be contradictory uh, and not factual. So that very often the concern of evangelical uh, churches has been to defend the facts, to show that the facts are, are uh, genuinely facts, that uh, the narratives are, are true and factual. Yet there is, um, there is a lot that's lost in this, and I'm, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that the narratives aren't true, but if our main preoccupation is just to show, well, you know, for example, that John's gospel does harmonize with the synoptic gospels and that there is no ultimate disagreement between them. Uh, something is lost. Something is lost. And usually it's the, in some ways, it's the grand narrative. It, it can be the, the overarching point of the story, so to speak. You could have, if you were to imagine for yourself someone, uh, I don't know, reading Hamlet, for example, 
and you, you go to the, you say, what's this play about? Just give me the facts. Was this guy Hamlet? Was he nuts or not? Just give me the facts. And, you know, don't bother me with this to be or not to be stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is the question, isn't it? That is the, that is the question. And so often we can get bogged down in, in the details of um, just showing folks that the, the narrative conforms to facts that we, that we can miss the point of the story. We've been looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus in John's gospel. John tells the story, the gospel story, in a very different way than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, most dramatically, I think, uh, John's gospel ends with the command, follow me. John's gospel ends with the command, follow me. Most of the other gospels get running with Jesus calling people to follow him. Now, early on in John's gospel, he calls Philip, says, follow me. And Philip was uh, one, of, one of the early disciples. But uh, John kind of puts things in an in a order that is very different than the synoptics. And yet I think he does it very deliberately uh, with us in mind, with the people in mind, particularly who have not seen and yet believe, people for whom the story is, is uh, much farther in the past than, say, the, the initial readers of the Synoptic Gospels. And so it's, it's, uh, it's directed for us to help us wrestle with the question, well, do these stories really apply to us? So that when Jesus tells, or when John tells the gospel story and ends the gospel story uh, with a sort of a character study of Peter and the closing words of Jesus, follow me, that seems to me to be extremely important and, and also uh, very encouraging to us to know that all of those accounts about following Jesus and back in the dusty roads of Palestine, there's still a sense in which those apply to us. Because when Peter is called to follow Jesus, as we'll see in just a moment, it's after the resurrection, and Jesus, although John doesn't tell us about the ascension, uh, Jesus is not going to be in the picture day to day in the way that he was uh, before he ascended into heaven. But Peter, in that setting, knowing that Jesus is going to go away, is called to follow Jesus. So following Jesus is a an enduring um, modality for living as Christians. So this morning we're going to be, if I can get my thing out of my pocket, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 21, the last part of the chapter, and that starts at verse 15. Follow with me as I read. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. John is, the, uh, John is the only one of the four Gospels that records the restoration of Peter. Of Peter. Um, it's hinted at in the Gospel according to Luke at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus, uh, after the supper, uh, tells Peter that Satan had de- desired to sift him like wheat, but Jesus had prayed for him so that his faith would not fail And then Jesus says, and and when you have returned, you uh, strengthen your brothers. So that at the Last Supper, when Jesus predicts that everyone would would, uh, fall away and abandon him, he tells Peter in particular that Peter would deny him. uh, As in all four Gospels, uh, Jesus tells Peter that uh, Peter would deny him before the rooster crows three times. Uh, but in, in Luke, he says, when you, have, when you have come back, you strengthen your brothers. So there is an anticipation that Peter still has a, will still have a role to play. But John's gospel is the only one where we are told how Peter is specifically restored to fellowship, which uh, we're, we're not told exactly what's going on in John's setting, why that was felt to be important, but clearly either there was something uh, that taking place in the life of the church where it was important to set the record straight. Perhaps people were casting doubt upon the legitimacy of, of Peter. After all, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus, in certainly in the Synoptic Gospels, makes it very plain that if you confess me before Men, I will, Jesus said, I'll confess you before my Father, and if you deny me before men, I will deny you. So that denying Jesus was a very, very serious thing. Jesus makes that plain from the outset. So what, what was going on there? Or maybe, just, maybe John just felt that it was important uh, to get that out there. And he, as I've, as I've suggested, he does this in a way uh, to, to turn it as a, a sort of call uh, in the life of Peter, but by implication to the, in all of our lives to follow Jesus uh, no matter where we've been or, or what our past has been like. In the uh, second part of the, the reading, this is the, the final portion of John's gospel. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. 
Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. There's a, a wonderful Christian organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some of, may, some of you may have been part of Campus Crusade if you were in, in college or maybe have loved ones, friends, maybe people that you even support in that ministry. And Campus Crusade, of course, is famous for its uh, four spiritual laws, which have been translated into countless languages throughout the world. And as far as I know, they... Um, they are still using the four spiritual laws. And the first of them, of course, is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, Jesus loved Peter. Jesus had a wonderful plan for Peter's life. And Peter was privileged. Peter was privileged uh, before the Lord ascended to have the Lord himself tell him what that wonderful plan was. That he would, among other things, he would be restored. He would have the privilege of following Jesus. He would have the privilege of tending Jesus' flock. And that he would have the privilege of uh, dying in a particular way to the glory of God. His arms being stretched out. Uh, a reference to the cross piece of the cross, which the one to be crucified uh, would carry to the place of execution. In, in not all presentations of the sport, four spiritual laws is that sort of thing intimated that uh, God's wonderful plan for your life might end up there, uh, which is not to detract from the four spiritual laws, but, but simply to remind us that uh, God's plan for our lives is, um, is good, and sometimes it's Sometimes it's a blessing to know that, particularly it was a blessing for Peter because through that he was being restored. Uh, sometimes it's probably better not to know and just to know that the Lord has promised to be with us. As you look at the, the, uh, the Lord's restoration of Peter, it takes place in in the, the repetition of three questions, do you love me? In, in some ways, this passage is, is one of the, um, the more extended passages in which we have insight into the character of Peter. Uh, we, are, we are given throughout the Gospel of John a particular uh, picture of Peter that's consistent with that of the Synoptic Gospels, but... Uh, uh, slanted, I think, in, in John's particular uh, appreciation of Peter because Peter and John hung out together. Uh, John was one of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, but, uh, and Peter and Andrew were brothers, but there seems to have been some sort of connection between uh, Peter and John so that when the word of the resurrection comes, Peter and John run to the tomb. Uh, at the Lord's Supper, John, who was apparently a, a favorite of the disciples among Jesus, he's referred, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, he, is, 
he is leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and, and Peter uh, gets John's attention and, and says, ask him who he's talking about. Uh, and then they're in the boat. We saw that last week. They're in the boat fishing together, and John recognizes from the draft of fishes that it's the Lord. See, John, John comes to faith before he sees. At the, at the empty tomb, John goes into the empty tomb, and, and all he sees is, the, is that the tomb is empty. He doesn't see the risen Lord, but he believes when he goes into the empty tomb. And likewise, in the boat, uh, they can't see who it is on the shore in the, the early morning light uh, before sunrise. But John says, it's the Lord, and Peter uh, dives, you know, puts on his clothes and, and dives into the lake and, and goes to see the Lord. So we're, we're given a, a bit of a character study, not, not to moralize, but I do think it can be helpful in the sense that it's a kind of a modern thing that we do case studies. So if, you're, uh, if you do some kind of leadership training, and I'm sure in many professions as part of your training, you, you are given case studies and you are put in situations where you try to you figure out, well, how would you react in this particular situation? It seems to me there's some legitimacy for looking at Peter as a, uh, approaching it as a kind of a case study. Uh, what, uh, what, would you, what would you have done if you were in Peter's position, say? Uh, or what, uh, what sort of things can you imagine might have been driving Peter in particular points in his life? Those are, those are fair game. There's no, there's no moralizing about Peter in the gospel accounts. There's just honesty that we're told about him. We're told, for example, that Peter was a man who uh, quickly spoke his mind. So what he was thinking about, he said, which was, a, I think, a quality that probably uh, endured, him to, uh, endeared him to Jesus, that Jesus valued this, that Jesus valued his boldness, his transparency, if you will, but sometimes it was problematic for Peter to always be speaking his mind. Uh, certainly at, um, at the transfiguration, uh, Peter says, oh, let's build three tents and, and stay here, not knowing what he was saying. At the Last Supper in John's Gospel, Jesus gets up from the table and starts washing the disciples' feet and gets to Peter, and Peter says, uh, Peter objects, Jesus says, well, you don't understand yet. Peter says, you will never wash my feet. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then, and then Peter says, well, my hands and my head as well. So Peter is someone who, who speaks his, what's on his mind uh, to the good. In, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is Jesus is confessed as the Messiah by Peter at Caesarea Philippi uh, six days before the transfiguration. In John's gospel, uh, after the feeding of the 5,000, uh, then Jesus is teaching in the synagogue about being the bread of life, and unless people eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, they have no eternal life. And even lots of the disciples, are, they've had enough at that point. So this is, who can listen to this? And people start leaving. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, well, are you folks going to leave as well? And Peter says, 
to whom, to whom will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter seems to be the, uh, the most uh, mature, that is, uh, chronologically. I think he's the, uh, the older ones of the disciples, certainly in contrast to, uh, to John and some of the others. Jesus, in his comments to Peter in, uh, when he's restoring him, says to him, when you were younger, you used to kind of get up and, and go where you wanted to go. But when you are older, so Peter is apparently midlife, maybe, and older than, than the rest of the disciple band. Jesus restores him by putting a question to him. So that apart from all of Peter's commendable qualities of boldness and transparency and honesty, and apart from his zeal, which is manifest by the fact that when he hears that it's the Lord, he you know uh, swims the the two hundred stadia, the um, the hundred yards to the shore. Uh, there's another story about Peter attempting to walk on water and not being a great swimmer, but he's uh, he's either had swimming lessons or he's uh, in a different frame of mind, and he's he wants to get to the shore to see Jesus. So he definitely has a passion for Jesus and a passion for the truth. But Jesus, when he restores him, speaks to him about his love. Who do you love? Do you love me? Three times. There's, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to spend any time to speak of on the, the exegesis of this. You'll, if you may have an annotated Bible that points out that uh, Peter always answers. There are two, two Greek verbs for love that are used in the passage. Peter always answers with the verb phileo. Uh, we have uh, Philadelphia comes in, into English from this word. Uh, the Greek word for kiss is uh, phile. Uh, so there's this, Peter always answers, I love you, phileo. And Jesus, the first two times, asks, uh, do you love me, agapao, which is often argued to be a, uh, a more self-sacrificing, a higher uh, level of love, a higher form of love. But ordinarily, I think in Greek, the contrast between uh, uh, the higher form of love and another form of love is between, agapa, between uh, agape and eros. Uh, we get erotic, uh, but the idea of more sensual or... Um, it's, it's, not so, it's not so idealistic. It's more uh, uh, involving the, the delights of the eyes and, and the senses as opposed to the mind. But in, in John's gospel, the phileo and agapao are used pretty significantly interchangeably. So, uh, for example, in John chapter 5, verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. That's phileo. And I, I can't think of any reason why the father's love for the son would be a lesser form of, of love as opposed to the higher form of love. So there's, uh, in reading the text, it is pretty striking that Jesus switches words and, and answer, the third time asks with phileo. But um, I think we can, that's only speculation there. It's, it's that he is asked the third time, having denied three times that this is 
This is what grieves Peter. The first question, do you love me more than these? Here again, uh, if, you, if you read the commentaries, if you read the scholars, there's all kinds of differences of opinions, all sorts of possibilities put forward. One that surprises me is that uh, so many are drawn to the interpretation that when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these, meaning do you love me more than these other knuckleheads? these other disciples. Do you love me more than they love me? And I, I guess I can understand something of, of that argument, but to me it seems it's one that I find very hard to imagine. I find it hard to imagine Peter, after denying the Lord three times, uh, saying in response to this question, oh yes, I, I love you more than they do. That, that seems hard for me to envision or uh, to reconcile with his uh, restoration. So I think probably it's just, do you love me more than the, this whole fishing enterprise? Do you love me more than your former life? Um, do you love me as a, as a disciple who wants to follow me? And so Peter answers yes three times. And then after the third time, Jesus says, feed my sheep literally uh, feed my lambs. Most of the church fathers understand that to, to refer to the rest of the disciple band, to the rest of the disciple flock. But certainly it doesn't, uh, it reminds us of Jesus and his welcoming the children in his ministry. So uh, Peter is, is uh, given the, the call to care for God's flock uh, in, in all its fullness, including, including everyone. In this, in this call to follow me, there is a, there's a connection with the Last Supper in John because the, the issue of following arises when Jesus said, uh, uh, where I am going, you cannot follow. And Peter says, where are you going that we can't follow you? I'll follow you anywhere. And Peter says, well, you, you, uh, you can't follow me now, but you will follow later. You will follow me later. And Peter says, I'm ready to go to death. I will never deny you. I'll go to prison, whatever. I will, I, I will always follow you, no matter the cost. And that's, that's the point at which Jesus says to Peter in John's gospel, uh, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So that's the last conversation that they've had in John's gospel about following. It's, I will follow you even unto death after Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow. And now when Jesus restores John, he restores him by pressing him on, on his heart love and says, if, if, uh, if you want to prove your discipleship, you can start by loving the rest of the flock for me. Whenever we're restored, whenever we're forgiven, it's, there is a, okay, uh, you, uh, you're forgiven, here is, here is how you will live that out. Here is how you will demonstrate the genuineness of your repentance. And Peter is given a path to that, just as John makes it clear in, in his first letter that, uh, if, we, if we say we love the Lord, we'll, we'll show that by loving the brothers and sisters. 
Peter is to love uh, God's flock and to care for them. But when, when the Lord says to Peter at this point, follow me, clearly has kind of a double meaning, does it not? Because the question is about, has been, I'll follow you wherever. Jesus says, well, I'm going to a place where you can't follow me, but someday you will. Someday you will. And at this point, uh, and really, I think to make it even clearer, he tells Peter where he's going at the end. Someone else will stretch out your arms and they'll wrap you up and, and take you where you don't want to go. Follow me. Follow me. So that when the Lord restores Peter, he does not simply forgive him, but he, he challenges him to live out his profession. He challenge, in fact, he uh, invites him to live out his profession. And I'll close with uh, a reference to uh, John Chrysostom, who was one of the ancient Greek fathers of the church. Chrysostom, Chrysos is gold. Stoma in Greek is uh, mouth. So he's, he's, he was quite a preacher. He was called John the Golden Mouth. Uh, and he, this is what he says in his, his homily on this particular passage. He, he, he quotes the, the, the verse, others will carry you where you don't want to go. And then here's what uh, John Chrysostom says. And yet, this he did want. Jesus says, uh, people will carry you where you don't want to go. But Chrysostom says, and yet... This Peter did want and desired, on which account also Jesus had revealed it to him. For since Peter had continually said, I will lay down my life for you, and though uh, I should die with you, yet I will, I will not deny you, Jesus has given back his desire. Jesus was giving Peter another opportunity to display his loyalty. He said, you, uh, you said you'd go to death with me. Uh, so be it. That's God's wonderful plan for your life, that you'll be given the opportunity to glorify me by the death you die, not disowning my name. Follow me. Follow me, this is, this is my wonderful plan for your life. This is where it's going, follow me. And then there's, there's John. Peter says, what about him? And Jesus says, what business is that of yours? Follow me. This is the story that we're part of. This is the Lord that we follow. Uh, graciously, we don't, you know, we're not given to know what the Lord will recall, re require of us by the way of discipleship, but we know that his grace will be sufficient to us. But for us who, who live in this world, this confusing world, and who wonder, what would it mean? What, would it, what does it mean in the 21st century to follow Jesus? Surely it is to pursue him with this kind of heart, with this kind of love, with this kind of devotion and boldness and to bring it down real simple the way Jesus did for Peter, uh, to follow him means to love one another, to love one another, to care for one another, 
uh, for elders to feed the flock, for the, the flock to love the elders, and for everyone to seek the good and the peace of the church. Heavenly Father, we are, we are grateful that you give us uh, people that uh, we can relate to, people that may be very different from us in our own personalities, our own uh, way of speaking, our own way of reacting in the world, and that you hold them up before us not as people without flaws, but as people who, uh, at the, in the deepest recesses of their hearts, loved you, loved you, could think of nowhere else to go but to you. And we thank you that you have used people such as these, such as Peter, to establish your church, and that in his life we can see what it is that you seek most from us and what it is that we must seek most from you. And so we pray that you would renew our love and that you would enable us to experience that most directly in our love for your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.